that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to Buckeye Talk again. We tried to record earlier and everybody's computers broke. I had to reset my SMC, which I don't know what that is, but I reset it and I hope that means my computer's going to work. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your game preview for Purdue. We got to talk about the Purdue curse a little bit because I got some numbers on that. But I do want to talk some football. By the way, on the on the Thursday pod that I thought was actually very good. Um, I just it's sometimes the texter questions are the best things for us. I said it. We said at the beginning, hey, maybe we'll talk basketball. Maybe we'll talk about Ohio State, the playoff rankings. We didn't talk about basketball because we're going to talk about basketball on the Tuesday pod. Nathan, you want to say anything about Ohio State being fourth? I mean, you've written about it at Cleveland.com. I don't know. I mean, it kind of is obvious and it doesn't matter that all that much. Yeah, I mean, the, the top four was what I expected it to be, what I thought everyone should have expected it to be after both the first week's pairings and what we saw last week. Um, it's borderline nonsensical right now. <laughs> I mean, the committee is always going to do what the committee wants to do, and they are applying the logic one place but not the other place, and it doesn't matter because they'll eventually apply that same logic to Ohio State, Oregon. But why they chose to do it immediately for Michigan State, Michigan, but not for Ohio State, Oregon, I think is a weird thing. But I don't know how much we want to get bogged down in that. There's another great podcast that you can listen to all that talk on. Doug is was, affiliated with it. There was lots of shouting on that podcast. So go listen to the college football playoff show. So let's talk about football. Because I think Aiden O'Connell is good. Is Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue quarterback, the best quarterback that Ohio State's played this year? Like the quarterback well, that they're getting. Because they didn't get healthy Sean Clifford. They didn't get 100% Sean Clifford. They didn't get any real quarterback against Indiana. Adrian Martinez is really up and down. Talia Tongavailoa like, kind of had some sparks earlier in the season, but certainly, I don't know, didn't do anything against Ohio State, right? Rutgers doesn't have anybody. That Tulsa guy chucked it around a little bit. Anthony Brown had his moments. I actually do think Aiden O'Connell's better than Tanner Morgan. I don't know. What are we talking about here? That, By the way, Anthony Brown's name, his name didn't come up, but the play of the Oregon quarterback came up as one of the reasons why Oregon is ahead of Ohio State still in the college football rank. He's 65th nationally in quarterback rank rating, by the way. So I think it's probably it's possibly true that Aiden O'Connell is the best quarterback that they've played so far or maybe he's performing the best this season. I don't know that that means he's very good. Is he good or does Patrick just throw the ball a lot so he gets to rack up empty stats? They're not completely I mean, they beat, empty. They I wouldn't beat call them Michigan State and Iowa, so they're not completely empty. I mean, he's I not, not better than C.J. Stroud. Stephen's angry. Okay. Stephen's angry. No, I'm not. I'm not angry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Maybe. Okay, let me preface this. Stephen asks a fair question. Yeah, because it's like. It's his options are throw the ball to David Bell or throw the ball in the dirt. So it's like, you know, and David Bell, and I, I, I said this on our game time uh, decisions video, that which you can watch on Saturday morning before the game, but it's just going to be David Bell is going to get the ball 10 times for 150 yards, but where else are those stats going? Even if they are throwing the ball 50 times a game. Aiden O'Connell is 53rd, I think in the quarterback rankings maybe that you were referencing the one i'm looking at on cfb stats aiden o'connell's 53rd anthony brown's 67th and he's fifth in the big 10 right behind adrian martinez who ohio state just played and talia tagavoa who ohio state has already played so that tells you a little bit of something where he ranks just from an efficiency standpoint 7.7 yards per attempt 
is not special. 12 TDs to eight interceptions is not special, but he is playing better now. There is something to be said for early this season. Jeff Brom changes quarterbacks like most people change socks. I don't know. Like they yeah. he changes quarterbacks a lot. Ever since he's gotten there, it's been sort of a rotation. It was David Blau and Elijah Sindelar. Uh, now you got this guy, Jack Plummer, who's been in and out with the last couple of years with Aiden O'Connell. And they've never really settled on a guy. And I think that they have sort of settled on Aiden O'Connell as the main number one starter guy, although they mix those other guys in. So I think that's probably helped his play the last couple of weeks. But I think it's fair to ask if he's good or if he's just Big Ten good. Well, I mean, Big Ten good. Well, no, I mean, I'm, I mean, Big Ten good because that's what they deal with in 85 percent of their schedules, whether a guys Big Ten good or not. Is he the best quarterback they've played so far? The way, the, the, way, the way that he'll play on Saturday, will he play better than any Ohio State quarterback opponent so far? Maybe. I think it's a maybe. I think, I think, it, it's I, I think it's maybe. I don't think he's more talented than Talia Tagovailoa. I'll still take the hurt Clifford because it still felt like he could beat Ohio State that night. I don't know if what Aiden O'Connell does this week is going – I mean, Purdue's already beat two top five teams. We know that. But still, I don't know if the best of what Aiden Connell has to bring to the table is going to beat Ohio State. Tempting the Purdue gods. And we will talk about the the fates of Purdue in a moment. (laughs) Because some of it's real, some of it's not. So so Aiden O'Connell, basically the first four games of the year, he wasn't the guy. It was either they started with somebody else and they were kind of playing multiple people. But their last five games, he's been the guy. Right. That's where the line is. And one of those games was against Wisconsin, which has a very highly ranked defense statistically. And Purdue didn't do a ton against Wisconsin. So I took Wisconsin out because I don't think Ohio State's defense is as good as Wisconsin's, even though it's like I, I laugh when Wisconsin's defense is ranked like ahead of Georgia's and stuff. I do think Wisconsin right now probably does have a better defense than Ohio State. I, I think. I don't think that's saying too much when you think about the Wisconsin linebackers and do we still know for sure about the Ohio state secondary. And we are taking into account now that like Tyreek Smith is being Tyreek Smith. And I think that's no longer a bonus that's expected. And that he and Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer and JT are going to get after the quarterback. I think we can believe that, but I still think the Wisconsin defense maybe is not a direct comparison point for this Ohio State defense. So in the four games, the other four games, since Aiden O'Connell's been the starter, the funny thing is what Purdue is doing is the thing that Ohio State did against Nebraska last week that we said isn't good. That's Purdue's good offense. Chuck it around, no run game. But they're Purdue. So, like, what do you guys – I mean, like, uh, they're – that you know. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) The Purdue no run game is not Ohio State no run game. Not last week. Last week, Ohio State averaged three yards a carry. That's exactly what Purdue averages. Last yeah. week against Nebraska, Ohio State didn't run it for anything. I'm not saying that Purdue, I'm not, this is not Maybe. a knock on Trayvon Henderson. Their performance against Nebraska is what I'm talking about. Their effectiveness, mm-hmm. what but, they chose to do, how they chose to attack. Fair, fair, fair clarification. But that's happened once to Ohio State where it is the identity of Purdue's offense. They no, have I know, no but, run game. But what I'm saying is the thing that, that Ohio State did once. And we all said, fans, media, coaches said, well, that's no way to run an offense. That is Purdue's offense, right? Like like the thing that Ohio State wants to avoid is the thing that Purdue is leaning into because they don't have any other choices. So what Ohio State is facing this week 
at its best is the worst version of the Ohio State offense. But that's because Purdue has one receiver, not three. They don't have the best freshman running back in the country. They don't have a tremendous offensive line. But those four games that Aiden O'Connell's been the starter, other than so it's taken out Wisconsin. It's Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Michigan State. They're throwing the ball 49 times a game. They're running it 35 times a game in those four games. And those are the four that I think matter because what they did, they still did throw it a lot more than they ran it before Aiden O'Connell was the quarterback, but also he wasn't the full-time quarterback. So they're throwing it 49 times a game for 380 passing yards. They're running it 35 times a game for 84 rushing yards. They're averaging 7.8 yards per passing play, 2.4 yards per rushing play. So they have no run game in those four games that are referencing. They've gained 58, 116, 86, and 77 yards on the ground. They threw it for more than 500 yards against Michigan State last week. So that's propping it up a little bit. But they still threw for 233 against Nebraska, 378 against Iowa, and 371 against Minnesota. Nathan, Purdue's going to come out and chuck it around. So again, does that mean they're good at it? I'll take that point. Big stats does not automatically equal good, but they're okay at chucking it around. And I'm not sure. So we like to do comparisons, right? Like we do. So are they Tulsa plus Tulsa chucked it around and had didn't have much of that much of a run game. And it's like, well, I don't know. They really, I don't know. Tulsa was within a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Like, is that a fair comparison? Tulsa plus. When I was on my old podcast with my, my former colleague, Mike Carmen, who's been on the, the show here as a guest before he asked me like what team that Ohio state has played does Purdue remind you of? And that was the best comparison I could come up with was Tulsa, just because I think that's they'll, they'll try to compensate for that lack of a running game by being very horizontal in the passing game. I don't think this is a team other than Bell. I don't know how much of a vertical threat this team has, but I think you're going to see a lot of what Ohio State talks about, the the long handoffs, the extension of the run game or the, the compensation for the run game by going very horizontal with a lot of pass stuff, trying to get around to the outside and, and controlling the ball. They've done that and been able to sort of control the clock also in some ways in these recent games too. So in that world, Stephen, what do we think of the Ohio State defense? What do we think of this Ohio State defense, this back seven against a team that's going to chuck it, use the pass game as its run game, have a all Big Ten quality receiver in there somewhere? You know, try a little tight end stuff, some crossing routes. As Nathan said, some of that outside stuff. Does that, see, does that sound like an offense? If it's, a, if it's like a B version of that kind of offense, does that sound like an offense that this Ohio State defense can handle? Bell makes it interesting because it's like, I mean, if you just gave Tulsa Chris Olave in that, I mean, it just obviously raises the ceiling there. So he'll, he makes things interesting, whatever side he's on, wherever they decide to line him up. And just like we saw with Penn State, at some point, they're going to abuse the targets to him. Just like Penn State did with Jahan that first series out of the second half. We'll probably see that with David Bell, where they target him like five, six times in a row just because they got to get that guy going. But it's a combination of, Every week, this back set, uh, this back half of the set schedule is a uh, is Denzel Burke real? Is Cam Brown he- healthy enough to actually play out there? And the seven banks good, 
And then it's it, this defensive line helps out. I mean, they've had like five sacks a game, basically the second half of the season, especially since Tyreek Smith has gotten back. So that's what's really getting tested here. Is this defensive line really as good as the stat says that they're leading the nation in sacks right now? But then also it's another continuation of, hey, is Denzel Burke as good as we think he is? So Penn State did not throw to Dotson in the first half. Then they forced at at him in the second half. Then we'll give Ohio State a little credit for that. Whatever, right? I mean, Dotson's clearly the best player in Penn State's offense, and and Penn State didn't use him in the first half. I mean, Purdue's not going to do that, right? I mean, they're they're David Bell might have no catches on eight targets, but like they have to throw to David Bell all the time, right, Nathan? Yeah, and I think what's interesting is you know Purdue can come out and throw on first down, and you sack them. And there's other teams you do that to, and it probably throws them off schedule because they were expecting to go back to the run at some point. That is not the case with Purdue. They were going to throw it on second and third down probably anyway. So uh, it's going to be sort of relentless, I think, a little bit. I, I've been, you know, I did it when we talked about our um, outrageous predictions. I based it all on the fact that I think Purdue's going to be somewhere probably in the low 50s on pass attempts. And the well, key I- is Aiden Connell, O'Connell isn't Sean Clifford as a runner, so they can't even use that part of it. Like with Penn State didn't have a run game either, but Sean Clifford could run, so he made up for that. Aiden O'Connell can't do that. So, yeah, they're going to they're gonna throw it on first and 10. They're going to throw it on t- uh, second and 14. They're going to throw it on third and seven. And Adrian Martinez could run last week too yeah. and, and had to, actually. He was getting chased a lot. So, But this guy, no, O'Connell's very immobile. But is Aiden O'Connell more likely to hit a third and seven throw than Adrian Martinez and maybe Sean Clifford? Is that possible? Because, I mean, we had that – Adrian Martinez had that pass on – what was it, third or fourth down? That was kind of critical. The guy was there. He missed him, right? I mean, they, Adrian Martinez is so inconsistent. There's boom and bust, and, yeah, he's more dangerous on broken plays than in the run game. I'm just – I'm really curious about Aiden O'Connell – limited but knowing who he is and just trying to get the ball out accurately to some dudes against all these pff stats pff stats come down the pike about denzel burke and cam brown and pff just dumps stuff on twitter constantly it's like targets they have 27 targets and only one reception or whatever they still they just they have not faced it i mean they just yeah they have not faced a quarterback who can really make a throw. They really haven't because even Sean Clifford, and again, I thought Sean Clifford's playing pretty well this year. He wasn't quite himself, right? And if and if Aiden O'Connell is just a do-your-job kind of dude who's not that dangerous but can hit an open receiver, I still – I don't know if that – that still sounds potentially not dangerous to the Ohio State defense, but it sounds like it might work on at least a few drives to me. I don't know. I think the bigger question is because I, I, I still think of him as just in that same ballpark as Clifford and Martina. Like he's, he's a veteran guy. Now he's got some skill, but he's not going to blow you away. I don't think, I don't think Aiden O'Connell goes out and wins you a game, but the guy he's throwing to bell might be that special that there are throws that other, that the better quarterbacks could make to lesser receivers and they wouldn't be catches, but because he's throwing to David Bell, who speaking of PFF, like those numbers are out there about how good David Bell is in contested situations. Um, coming into the season, he had the best grade of any receiving, any returning receiver in the country on contested throws. It's like somewhere in the nineties. Like this is a guy who's known, he makes his money to use, to steal a, a CJ Stroud. He makes his living going up for balls that other guys don't catch and catching them. 
So I think that's what I'm curious to see on Saturday. If, if Ohio State can disrupt that. There's a middle ground between 11 for 16 on third down and two for 13 on third down, which is what Penn State and Nebraska were the last two weeks. And that's where I expect O'Connell to live. Maybe they're seven of 14, but five of those come in the third quarter when David Bell's starting to get rolling and, you know, O'Connell's got some things clicking there. And so that it's a little bit more important than if he were to just get them in the first quarter. We'll also note that Nebraska's entire offensive staff got fired eight hours after the Ohio State game, (laughs) and Jeff Brom gets paid $5 million a year because of what he does as an offensive play caller. So, that and we have seen – and again, I think Yursich for Penn State is in between, right? Yursich isn't getting Mm -hmm. fired, but I'm not sure. I don't know that Yursich is Brom at his best. And Brom's probably – is Brom the second-best play caller or – in the conversation with Joe Moorhead, the Oregon offensive coordinator. Again, I don't want to overdo the Joe Moorhead thing, but it's if you have a quarterback who can kind of do what he's asked to do and you have a good play caller and you have an all big 10 level receiver, like those are things that I can see fitting together against the secondary that we still aren't a thousand percent sure on yet. That's, that's where I'm putting some pieces together. I think that's a really smart comparison. What I think, what made Moorhead dangerous was his ability to come out and exploit an Ohio state weakness. It wasn't just that he could scheme up a play and use his own talent to do something. It was, he saw a weakness on film or on the field that day and just kept hammering away at it. So has have those vulnerabilities closed up a little bit for Ohio state as we think they probably have, but we're, as you're saying, we're not completely sure. So have, have those vulnerabilities closed up enough that Brom won't find the same soft spot to keep stabbing at on Saturday that Moorhead did that day. Those vulnerabilities were a combination of a defense who was very stagnant and kind of simple in its approach, but then also you had a bunch of young guys out there who did not know what they were doing. And it seems like guys know what they're doing now but also that guy's not calling the plays anymore. But there's also no Josh Proctor at the back end, which there was for also no- that Oregon game. So, yeah. And their cover safety got smoked twice last week. And the free safety did nothing to, you know, prevent it. So, so people who, so last week against Nebraska, CJ Stroud, when he threw for four Oh five average 7.5 yards per attempt against Nebraska, Purdue averaged 5.2 yards per attempt. So that was Ohio State was significantly more efficient than Purdue. But I did want to note that, hey, if you think Nebraska's defense is good, well, that was, you know, Nebraska's defense held down Purdue a little bit. But 9.9 yards per attempt against Michigan State last week, 8.8 against Iowa. So, you know, I just, I, I, I came away more not nobody's scared of Aiden O'Connell but I respected I came away respecting Aiden O'Connell more than I anticipated going in just as a guy again who might be able to do what he's asked to do get it to an extraordinary playmaker and if Brahm has a couple things dialed up I I I can see this Ohio State defense getting tested um, in a way that's not just Bell right that's not just Bell because if guys are running wide open or again tight end throwback or you get a mesh route or you you know, you do a little dipsy do dunkaroo and there's some stuff in there and all of a sudden a couple guys are running free and we'll see what happens. Okay. So that's, so the, I think that I wanted to have the O'Connell football discussion off the top. 
we did this video, but we didn't really talk about it on the pod, right, Nathan? Who's more dangerous to Ohio State, George Karloftis mm-hmm. as a defensive end or David Bell as a receiver? We'll give it away and say we all said George Karloftis as a defensive end. Why? Why did we all pick Karloftis instead of Bell? I think part of it is knowing that the way this offense has been trending the last couple of weeks is is a factor here, and that that was without the direct I would argue the direct influence of like one great player. So if he can get in there and, and start affecting this passing game with just moving CJ Stroud, cause we saw it happen a couple of times last week in different situations where there were little breakdowns on that offensive line. And it was only a couple, but both of them like took touchdowns off the board. So now if that happens three times or four times and he doesn't even have to get there, those, those, one of those occasions, nobody even got there to uh, CJ Stroud and it still took a touchdown off the board. So that's what I'm think is, is the bigger threat for Ohio state. It's that drives that should have extended end up being cut off because not even because he's getting home and getting like four or five sacks or whatever, which would be, I think insane, but just because he's disrupting and displacing CJ Stroud enough and, and causing him to make sort of um, harassed decisions. Ohio State runs a go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. Ohio State runs a lot of plays where the line needs to hold up and allow that play to develop, especially when they're trying to get Chris Olave the ball. If the line can't hold up so Chris can get the ball, well, we've seen the last two weeks what happens. It really hurts this offense. While with David Bell, he might just do what he does. And it's just because he's their entire offense and they're going to throw the ball a lot. And so that it just because he has 150 yards doesn't mean he hurts you. The texters disagreed with us. That's one of the questions I asked the texters this week. Who, which star Purdue player could hurt Ohio State more on Saturday? David Bell, 72%. George Karloftis, 28%. I tried to watch a little, some highlight cuts on Karloftis. I watched like every play of his from the Iowa game. He does seem to like to beat, try to beat tackles around the edge. And again, that with the length of Nicholas petit Frere and Dewan Jones, how long their arms are, and I think they have pretty good feet. I, again, I don't know. There's a ton of guys beating guys beating the Ohio State tackles around the around the corner. And then CJ is very good at stepping up. So if you can just push, if Karloftis is trying to go around you, and you can push him deep and push him wide and give CJ time to step up, and the interior offensive line's holding up, that I, that can neutralize him a little bit. He is pretty good with his hands. He does, he'll, he flip-flops left and right, so it's going to be NPF and Dewan Jones are both going to deal with him, you know, not just like series to series, but snap to snap. I don't think you know for sure where he's going to be. He does seem to be pretty good with his hands. He he is down sometimes, I think, late in the game. It looked like against Iowa, it's like maybe he's getting tired late in the game. Then he's up a lot. He's standing up and rushing like that. And he really does want to get to the quarterback. Nathan, you had sort of talked about previously, you run at a guy like that. There was a play against Iowa where right before the snap, he slid outside a little bit more to try to get a better angle for a pass rush. And Iowa ran the ball, and it wasn't necessarily run toward that side. But Tyler Goodson got to the line and then saw the opening and cut right to where George Karloftis in the gap he's supposed to be in, except he slid one gap wider because he was trying to get a better pass rush angle and he ran for like 30 yards. So I do think, I think Travion is, can hit those cutback lanes. And I'm sure they've talked to him about that. Uh, 
if if something's not there right away, there might be room to bounce because this guy is so eager to get to the quarterback, he might not be gap sound every single snap. So I think that's interesting. They'll definitely run at him sometimes too, right? You could just there were times where just Iowa just double teamed him and smothered him in the run game, and you run right at him. So that's certainly a strategy. I'm I bet I think he'll play every snap, right? This is one of those again where it's a different mm-hmm. situation than the Ohio State defensive ends, where those guys are fresher deep in the games. So I think if Karloftis is going to get going to get after it, it, it's more likely to be early than it is late because I think he's going to be gassed running into the wall, the wall that is Dewan Jones and dealing with a, a high level skill guy like Nicholas Petit Frere. I think that's going to be hard for him. And I'll just be curious, like about his moves again, like again, the tackles, I don't think have been spectacular the last couple of weeks in comparison to their, especially NPF to what he had been earlier, but they're still really sound and he will. I'm a little confused by one thing. He he will give you a bull rush at sometimes. Like he'll try that. You can't bull rush Dewan Jones. He will try that. He does is some finesse stuff. But let me, I'm I'm just some of the stuff I you know information I learned from the text six one four three five zero three three one five. I believe these two things came across the text this week. One was somebody for Ohio State saying Jack Sawyer is playing George Karloftis like on the scout team because. Jack Sawyer is kind of a finesse guy. And so he is a good representation of George Karloftis. And then Ryan Day said, George Karloftis is the strongest guy they've seen. Did I, did I misinterpret some of that? No. So Day did say that today. And the other thing that was said, and it may have just got truncated in the text was Dewan Jones said that Sawyer was emulating that. I confirmed that today with Ryan Day and talked to him a little bit about that today uh, or Thursday, I should say on the uh, Dadio lightning round. But he, the way Dewan Jones said it was, he can do power to speed, he can do speed to power, and he also has like a swim move. So he really yeah. kind of encapsulated all of it. It wasn't just that he's fast. It wasn't just that he's strong. It wasn't just that he's got some moves. He was kind of emphasizing that like it's coming from he can do a lot of stuff. And I think that was actually the quote of uh, Nicholas Petit Frere's uh, interview. Somebody asked him like, "What does George Kalaftis do well?" And he said, "A lot." He, I think at the point of attack, he wants to hit you, beat you with his hands, and then get around you to the outside. That's his main thing is like sort Stun of that you, initial attack. You. Well, not or even just like win the hand fight. Mm-hmm. Win the hand fight, swim and get around you outside, and then use his speed to close the gap and get to the quarterback. I think that's what he wants to do. And then you set that up, and then the tenth time you go inside. I'm I just think it's the key curious. to that though is being first to the punch, though. That's what I think. I think is probably the thing that's because yeah, all the hand stuff is great, and all, but like he wants to be first because then he kind of controls the fighting from them forward. And I think that's what he meant when he was comparing Jack Sawyer to him. Because if you watch Jack, it's kind of that same thing. I want to be first because then I control where this goes next. And then as you get used to that, then you see Karloff just come with the swim move or the spin move. Yeah, it's the get off that everybody talks about being so important to these ends. The one thing I also want to throw in though is we talk about we look at these matchups as in like, well, here's what he does and here's what Ohio state is. So how will that match up? But they practice too. They're watching film too. So I'm curious, does he attack Ohio state in a different way? Knowing that Dewan Jones is like five people wide. A mountain. Yeah. I will be watching. I would advise the Buckeye talk listeners. And and then we'll talk about if I was wrong. I'm curious to see how many times he tries to win inside on these tackles that you get. There's a lot of that set up where you can set a guy up outside and then you, you go inside and I just think 
you can't go inside every time because if they know you're going inside, then they could just smush you and the guard can even help a little bit. But I'll be curious how many times he wins inside because I just think it's hard to get around the edge against these two. And in case anyone's curious, Jones and Karloftis would not have played against each other in high school. They were at like very different levels, like big school versus like medium school. So this will be their first time going head to head, even though they're from the same state. Okay, so I think those are the the football things. I mean, Nathan, I know you were sort of asking about stuff. When you're a play caller, there is sort of what you already talked about with what Joe Moorhead did and what Jeff Brom and good play callers do. Ryan Day does it. You take advantage of wherever a defense has weakness. And then there's the gadget stuff. Then there's the the trickery kind of thing. Um, You're anticipating a little some shenanigans from Jeff Brom. Yeah, and it's it's curious because – have we ever seen Ohio state really run like a trick play under Ryan day? Like what's the closest thing? Like I know they did like that. They did that onside kick at Maryland in 2019, right after they'd scored. That's like the closest thing to like shenanigans that I feel like we've seen from Ohio state. Not just like, not just like a wrinkle on a conventional play, like a capital T capital P trick play. Oh no, no capital T capital P. No. What was the one where they ran like a, didn't they run like an inside handoff sort of jet sweep to Garrett Wilson on the first play of the game? Yeah, sixty-yard gain against Penn State, State last year. They'll yeah. do they'll do that to catch you. Uh, they don't do trick plays. They do these. <laughs> the QB sneaks are close to the trick plays just because they sell it so well. Even the wide receivers get on it. They'll act like they can't hear the play and be all confused, and then they'll get set up real quick and they'll run a QB sneak just to keep a drive alive. They, I mean, you're more talented than everybody else, so you don't have to run trick plays. So they, it's just more the way they sell stuff. If we were doing like an over under thing this week, maybe I should have done this for outrageous prediction, but I don't think it's outrageous. Like I would set like at 1.0, the number of times Purdue will do something that involves the word flea flicker. So it'll either be a flea flicker or like a reverse flea flicker. I think it's, it's a, a good chance that we'll see one of those two things. Like they, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like they're going to do something. And I've been trying to ask Ohio state players about it this week, because the one that they ran Purdue ran one last week against Michigan state that Jeff Brom got asked about it after the game. He's like, Oh yeah. Like, like 10 years ago, I saw a high school team do that on YouTube. And we just thought that looked fun. So we just, we tried it. it probably meant he tried it at Western Kentucky. And then they just brought it up again this past week. And like, that's, he's one of those guys, like he'll just see something like that. And I think at that level of team, it's a little bit like what we talked about with Rutgers last year, a different context, but I think it's, it's a little bit part of their identity. And especially in a matchup like this, they know probably they're going to have to spring something like that. They can't go like toe to toe, head to head straight up and for 60 minutes probably and beat Ohio state. They've got to wrinkle something in there. And I think the players enjoy it. I think it's fun. You get to involve different players. Like you know, David Bell is usually not the recipient on the, at the end of the flu figure. I think the one, I think the guy who was the recipient last week, this guy, Jackson Anthrop, if people remember Danny Anthrop that played at Purdue several years ago, but like this whole family of Anthrop's has come through that from local kids. And he's just this kind of smaller, um, possession receiver slot guy that they made us the, the, the focus of this play. So there's something like that is going to happen. I think so. I've been trying to ask Ohio state players, like how do you prepare for something that you literally, you, it's not like you can say, Hey, this is the thing they're going to do this week. So be ready for it. It's more just like, they're going to do something crazy. So just be ready for that, whatever it is, whenever it happens. And it's more just about discipline and keeping your eyes in the right place and staying in your spot. So we're going to talk about the Purdue curse stuff in the middle. Then we'll make our picks in the final segment. So I want to finish up all the football stuff here. I know Ryan Day talked about Steel Chambers on Thursday. 
that's one of the guys. This is uh, this is not at all. Steel Chambers is Ohio, is the linebacker for Ohio State that gets downhill. He's the linebacker for Ohio State that attacks. And everything, right? I mean, even when you asked earlier in the week, Nathan, all that stuff is all about eye discipline. It's like, just make sure you're seeing what you're seeing and don't anticipate too much. And it's not a trick play, but like all this kind of stuff. I'm always, I always love like anything where you use an aggressive defense as aggression against it. And a lot of times that can be like a tight end throwback kind of thing. It's not a, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. a trick play, but it's everything goes to one side and then you stop and the tight end leaks yeah. out and it's not even a screen, mm-hmm. but he's by himself. 30 yards on the other side of the field. And there's some stuff like that. When I think about, for instance, steel chambers, and I think about what it can Jeff Brom try to do. Listen, steel chambers missed a half last week against Nebraska. I want you guys to talk about it, but Ryan day is saying how important steel chambers is to them by now. One of the reasons I think the reason he's important is because he's an aggressive linebacker. I think he's more aggressive than the other linebackers. He, he, he reacts and attacks. He attacks, not reacts. We're like the rhyme on this podcast now, officially. Sauce and toss, react and attack, jack and sack, zack, jack, sack attack. So that that to me, like that's, I mean, we are like this, the next, like in the off season when we're still doing five podcasts a week, like rap battles, Buckeye talk rap battles is like prime. What else are we going to do in June? No, Makai Pfeiffer, right? I mean, that's all I got, right? That's because Mackay Pfeiffer, he's the actor. So still Chambers. He's the actor in the show, <laughs> and he's in the movie. So, like, that to me, right, is what could Jeff Brom attack? Because sometimes you know what you attack. You don't attack a weakness. You attack a strength. It's like, ah, oh, Steel Chambers, he's their best linebacker. Why is he their best linebacker? Because he gets after it, man. Because sometimes he doesn't even know the mistakes he's making, but he's aggressive. He's to the ball. He fills gaps. He tackles running backs in the backfield. And he also was in charge of covering the tight end on that play. And look, he's open by 30 yards because Steel Chambers was going to attack the quarterback on that throwback. Right. You know what I mean, Nathan? Like there are things I'm not like predicting that necessarily, but it's like if you're Ohio, if you if you're Jeff Drop Brown, what are you trying to find right now? Like the idea that their best linebacker is a former running back who just who's probably juiced up to get after it, whose role is continuing to increase, who practically sounds like does it sound like he might start this week? Like I'm on alert for that. Is he going to start this week, Nathan? How, what was Ryan Day saying about Steel Chambers Thursday? So he was asked. Uh, Dan Hope from uh, Eleven Warriors asked him because Ryan Day earlier. And, and in I, the- thank you for clarifying. Not Dan Hope, the former Purdue coach. Correct. Right. That was Danny Hope. Yeah, no, I know. So it's like uh, it's not the former Purdue no coach relation. showing up at Ohio State Purdue week to ask questions of the new guy. No relation. Dan Hope asked uh, because earlier in the conversation, Ryan Day had said that if they had they were if, if they had won the toss, they were going to take the ball instead of deferring because it mm-hmm. would mean one more defensive possession. In later, you know what I mean? Like it would, it would be a defense. They would get, they would be on defense to start the second half when they got steel chambers. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the math works out on that. I, that to me, that was a little bit. Well, I, 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 I get what he's saying. Often if you wind up, if, if two teams wind up with 13 possessions, I think 13 possessions is a common amount of possessions in a college football game. And you wind up with seven in the half where you get the ball to start and you wind up in mm-hmm. six with the half where you don't get the ball to start. I think actually that's right. kind of normal. So, yeah, so I, I see where he was coming from on that. So then that led Dan to ask, does that mean he was going to start that game? Because I think he did start the second half. And he is did he going start to start the second half? Yeah. And is he going to start this week? And Ryan said, well, that's 
Al Washington's decision, but he's playing like a starter. We're getting starter production out of him. And he played, he ended up playing, I think, 36 snaps in the second half. And Cody Simon, who was available the whole game, played 39. I mean, it, the, the, how essential Steel Chambers is to this defense right now can't be overstated, I don't think. Steel Chambers and Cody Simon are Ohio State starting linebackers. Jaraja Mitchell was nowhere to be found in the second half. And I, you, obviously, you, they do the snap counts by games, but I'm pretty sure if Steel Chambers played 36 snaps in the first half, I'm going to assume Taraja probably played like five second half snaps. And Ryan Day was asked at some point about that. I think he was asked on Tuesday about that and whether injury was a, a factor there. And he didn't deny <laughs> that injury was a factor, but I wouldn't say that he affirmed injury was a factor. Taraja played 11 snaps in the game. So there's that. And now we cut to like the montage of Al Washington's like eating lunch in the facility and like he he's he's chewing and he's like, what's this? And he like pulls a piece of paper out of his mouth and it was somehow in his food and he unfolds it and it says start steel chambers. And then they like, they go down the hall and like, there's a knock. And I was like, come in. And Ryan day ducks his head in the door and says, start steel chambers and leaves and runs out. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Al Washington goes out to his car at the end of the day and somebody like (laughs) drew in his, in the dirt in his windshield and says, start steel chambers. And then we go back to Ryan day in the press conference going, ah, it's Al Washington's decision. And it's like, yeah, it's Al Washington's decision. So maybe Steel Chambers is going to start. Because, by the way, I'm not so sure if someone had said we were going to take the ball so we could get an extra defensive series for Chase Young, I might have said, frankly, yeah. that seems like a bit much. They said it for Steel Chambers. Like, that's where we are with this. Again, like three weeks ago, we were at like, oh, I wonder if Steel Chambers might have a bigger role in the second half. And now we're at, we're changing our philosophy of how we play based on his availability. And he had five tackles. He didn't grade out well in that game, by the way. PFF gave him a 46.5. So it's not like he was playing well. He was just all over the place. So to the point of, can Purdue take advantage of his overaggression? Yeah, sure. But they can also probably run some screen passes right over Tyreek Smith's head as soon as he's trying to get up there Aiden O'Connell. Al Washington wakes up at three o'clock in the morning. There's a shadowy figure lurking outside his bedroom window. It's Ryan Day in a steel chambers mask. It's like, okay, I'll start it. We'll be back with a Purdue curse next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, we'll get to our picks later. We have our picks from the Texters as well. The uh, the line on this game, 20 and a half, right, Nathan? I think that's right. Last I saw, half. yeah. 62 and a half for the over-under, which moved down from where it started. Um, all right, so here's the question for the Texters. Since 2004, Purdue has beaten Ohio State four times in nine games. Again, so last nine times these teams have played. Ohio State leads the series 5-4, and one of those Ohio State wins was a miracle comeback in overtime. So it's really kind of 4-4 and a miracle game that could have gone either way. Is there a weird thing with Ohio State and Purdue that makes you extra nervous about this game? The choices for the Texters were no way, maybe a little, or yes for sure. Steven, what do you think One, Yes, maybe, or no, for is there a weird Purdue thing that makes Ohio State fans nervous? Uh, maybe. 
the middle, you know, the middle, the middle category often popular, right? So yeah. So easy. yeah, let me, let me, yeah. So let me pick a, I would say yes, for sure. It had more than no way. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I agree. May, yeah. so Nathan, you guys both think that maybe one as the middle often does, but that yes, outdid no. Correct. Wrong. Yes. Just outright crushed everything. People are <laughs> freaked out. 58% yes, for sure. 34% maybe, 8% no. So here are the numbers. And I apologize in advance. I did spend some time on this. I doubled, I did triple check it. I did double check it. Also, my computer stopped working. And I had to deal with that or I would have triple checked it. I think this is right. Since 2004. So it's 2004 season included through this season. Let's, let's start with the basics. Ohio State in that time period has played 149 Big Ten opponents. And I say Big Ten opponents because I included Big Ten championship games. So it's not only Big Ten regular season. 149 games. And this, I mean, you guys have probably a decent guess at this. How many do you think they lost since 2004? Don't think too hard about it. Nathan, how many have they lost since 16 seasons? How many Big Ten games have they lost? 18. Steven, how many have they lost? 16. 19. 130 and 19. So Nathan wins. Very good guess. Very close. Trying to go under. I found this slightly interesting. Current West versus East teams, right? It doesn't mean they were West and East back then because for part of this, there were no divisions. For part of this, it was Legends of Leaders. It wasn't West and East. But just how we think of West and East teams now. Ohio State is 72 and 8 against current East teams since 2004. That is a 900 winning percentage. 58 and 11 versus the West. That's an 841 winning percentage. So they've played 80 games against East teams, 69 against West teams, but they've lost three more against West teams in a world where we think the West stinks. So that's a thing. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Those 19 losses. Nine of them came in two crazy years, 2004 and 2005. 2004 was the reset year from the transition of the 2002 national championship team that lingered into 2003, and then the 2005 team that set up the 2006 championship game run. 2004 was the crossover, a classic transition year, a classic rebuilding year, the kind of things that no longer exist for Blue Bloods in college football. Eight and four that year, four losses in the Big Ten, and then 2011, the chaotic year, NCAA sanctions, five losses. So nine of the 19 losses came in two years, and all the other seasons combined, 10 losses, okay? So the deal with Purdue, let me run through this. I'll run through this some more. We keep doing numbers. If I'm going to do math, I'm going to talk about it all. I'm going to show my work. Four teams since 2004 have not beaten Ohio State in the Big Ten. Ohio State is 16-0 against Indiana. 10-0 against Minnesota, 8-0 against Rutgers, and 7-0 against Maryland. Those four teams, no wins. Four teams have one win. Ohio State is 15-1 against Michigan, 11-1 against Illinois, 9-1 against Northwestern, and 7-1 against Nebraska. Two teams have two wins. Ohio State is 11-2 against Wisconsin and 5-2 against Iowa. Michigan State has beaten Ohio State three times, 12 and three Ohio State against Michigan State since 2004. Penn State 
and Purdue each have four wins. But Ohio State is 14 and four against Penn State and five and four against Purdue. Ohio State has a 555 winning percentage against Purdue since 2004. Ohio State has an 893 winning percentage against everybody else in the Big Ten. They are five and four against Purdue and 125 and 15 against everybody else. We've covered this before, Nathan. We've written about this before. I wrote, I, it's kind of weird. I almost helped contribute to it in my, not that I caused it, but I dug hard into this before the 18 game. And then the 18 game doubled down on every single bit of it. They haven't played since. We haven't, I haven't given you all the information yet. Does this sound like something weird to you, Nathan? Sure. And I don't know that there's any way to explain it. <laughs> that's what makes it, that's what makes it truly weird. It's like, if you had said the like, Oh, Ohio state was five and four against Wisconsin in that time, you'd be like, well, yeah, Wisconsin's been like the best team in the West that whole time. Of course they've gone five and four. Like they, for a long stretch of that period before Ohio, before Ohio state is what it is. And it pulled away to a higher tier. It was, it was a tough slog against the other really good team in the West, but it's Purdue, like Purdue. How many times in, since 2004 has Purdue gone to a Rose bowl? Zero times. Like they're, they're not contending for big 10 championships really ever. So for them to have that sort of run is, I don't know what other word to use for it, but weird. And I don't think that Purdue fans can really explain it either, except to say you'll see this term. If you were to go on social media and do a term, a search for spoiler makers, it's an, it's a term that Purdue fans have a very ambivalent relationship with because they have over time. I, I, I mentioned the, it, I mentioned this stat earlier this week. They have like X number. It's always like 17 wins all time as an unranked team against a top five team, which is the most in the history of college football. So like, that's kind of a fun thing to know about your program and have your program do, but they're just not, they're not the ranked team often enough. And that's part of it. Like they're not known for being the team that's ranked and then wins games and does things. So I think Purdue fans enjoy, especially probably digging at Ohio state. Like you'll still hear, I'm sure people are talking about 49 to 20 all week, but it's also at the same time, frustrating to never be the team that it, somebody else is fearing the same way. Do Alabama and Clemson have a team like this where it's just, it's unexplainable like why they keep. I would read that project. The 10 best teams in college football and the underdog that loves to spoil their seasons the most. Yeah. And Who Auburn has, doesn't count because Auburn's their rival. Is Purdue Ohio is Purdue Ohio State the strangest relationship in college football? Yeah. So, yeah, maybe. Uh, and and I want to throw. So I like spoiler makers a lot, but this is a this is a thing that comes up in my house. I don't know why. I think somebody in my house hates Phil Mickelson. It might have been my dad who might have hated Phil Mickelson. I'm not sure why, but. When Phil, you know how Phil like finishes second in every major, and it's like, hey, he's a three-stroke lead going into the 18th hole, and then he hits it in the in the party tent. So yeah. we had a great debate in our house about what is better. What's the better nickname? Is it Phil Chokelson or Phil Micklechoke? Because I think your instinct is Chokelson, but then we kind of decided that Micklechoke might actually be better because it's not what you think it's going to be. And I would float if you still got some Purdue connections. I like spoiler makers, but what do we think of boiler spoilers? You know, because it's not you want to go for the rhyme, but what if you double down on the oil? Boiler spoilers, it's not where you go. 
Mickle choke. We say we say Mickle choke in my house constantly. So I'm just floating it there. The relationship double down on the oil. Fuck double down on the oil. Toss the sauce and double down on the oil. Walk up. I mean, we are <laughs> we are six months away from opening a wing place. Buckeye chuck, Buckeye yeah. talk chicken. <laughs> I mean, we would get sued by Ohio State within an hour of opening, but that hour would be glorious at Buckeye talk chicken. No, no, no. We'd call it sauce tossers. <laughs> it's just a callback to Thursday's pod there. Okay, so then we won't get sued. We'll get weird looks, but we won't we'll get, get sued. sued. But not for, <laughs> yeah, we'll but get not sued for no reason. And 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 it is entirely staffed. We'll also get sued for this. Entirely staffed by men who have mustaches. That's the rule. At sauce tossers, no beers. Who is the target audience for this? You know, <laughs> you know how you can find those lists on the internet of like TV shows that were canceled like before the first episode finished airing. Yeah, we would be like the restaurant equivalent of that. It's like the pitch is like. You know how there's all these restaurants that I, I think they probably should be phasing out. It's like the whole thing of the restaurant is average food and attractive women serving it. And it's like somebody was like, that is a great idea. And then we're just going the opposite way. We're going average food and awkward men serving it like suspicious looking men serving you chicken. Yeah. Like Giovanni Rabisi's character in Ted. Have you seen Ted? Yeah. He has <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. all that. No, so that would literally be like you'd be going out to like turn the sign from closed to open and then just turn it all the way back around to closed. So that'd be we the were, grand opening. There would be, we'd run a lot of people through because you'd only <laughs> want to stay in the restaurant for like 15 minutes. Cause it'd be like, God, my waiter is freaking me out. I got to get out of here. Are you ready for your check, sir? There'd so. be a lobby, but there'd just be no chairs. There would be no counter. <laughs> yeah. It'd just be a wide open space. So you could see people at all times. Welcome to sauce tossers. So I do think that the Boilermakers are a classic spoiler, but there's one thing at play here. The two weird seasons in 2004 and 2011, Purdue is the only team to beat Ohio State in both those years. So Purdue has four wins. Two of them are because of Ohio State, because Ohio State was in disarray. Ohio State wasn't itself, and Purdue was the only team to take advantage of that twice. So that is part of this. So when we say five and four, we really kind of mean five and two, but like the 2011 one was like, especially weird because like Ohio state scored like the tying touchdown and the extra point got blocked. And it was like, really, even within losing that game in a chaotic year, it was almost like the most chaotic of the chaotic losses. So Ohio state fans do have that in their heads as well, but it really is about the loss in 2009 and the loss in 2018, the loss with Ryan Kerrigan, doing that to Terrell Pryor and the loss in 2018 with Rondale Moore doing that to the Ohio state defense. So again, nine, nine of the 19 losses since 2004 against big 10 foes are in the weird years. The other 10, three against Penn state, Oh five, Oh eight and 16, two against Michigan state, 13 in the big 10 championship. And then 15, two against Purdue, Oh nine and 18, one against Iowa and 17, one against Wisconsin and 10, one against Illinois and eight. So those are the 10 losses that are, who Ohio State lost to in Big Ten play when Ohio State was kind of itself. So I do think the two weird losses, Nathan, like don't really apply because yeah. Ohio State's not weird. Ohio State's good. So then we look at when they're good. And then we go back to a thing that you looked, that you said on Monday, which is the weird thing about the weirdness because 
we're almost at the point with Purdue of it's like, well, how if they win, like, does it do you have the ready made description of the win? And it's like, well, it was Ryan Kerrigan. Then it was Rondale Moore. Then it was the time when they had Ryan Kerrigan and Rondale Moore. And that's what you said earlier this week. Yeah. And that's what I think is the, the most compelling thing about this. And it's happening at a time where Ohio State has improved on defense. But yet we still have questions about the back end of this defense and that Purdue's offense. And especially if it's offensive line seemed like it was going to be like such a powerful strength, but maybe there's a crack there. Maybe there's something that a truly like, you know, a, a, a top 15 in the NFL draft level pass rusher could really exploit. And it's so it's not really just the Ohio State Purdue relationship. Almost take the Purdue name off of it. You just have two future NFL players here, two of the best players in the Big Ten, like bar none on either side of the ball that you have to solve in order to win this game. I think that's what's the compelling thing. Like if, if, if it were happening with Illinois in a different year, it would still be compelling if you know what I mean. So I'm I that's what I'm almost the most intrigued by this Saturday. It's not just this Purdue mystique. It's how does Ohio State solve these problems at a really uh, problem isn't even really the right word. Just solve these challenges, respond to these challenges at a just absolutely critical time of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. The Purdue bar just makes it entertaining. But we've talked about that before, Stephen, that often when we were to, over time, when we have tried to find a common denominator in some of the Ohio State upset losses, we've talked about, well, there was an NFL guy on the other team mm-hmm. who had a big game. And that's what we're talking about here, right? And as you said, it's, whether it's Purdue or not. It's an NFL guy on the other team who, who had a big game and he happens to play a position where Ohio State has a weakness. In 2018, it was the secondary, Rondell Moore. In 2017, it was a combination of J.G. Barrett throwing interceptions all over the place, but then also Ohio State couldn't cover a tight end to save its life. And then this year, right as of right now, how we're looking at things, it's is this offensive line you know, teetering a little bit? And are we sure about the secondary? Insert David Bell, insert George Karloftis. That's exactly it, right? Like we're, the storyline like is actually already there. It's just a matter of can Ohio state cancel the series? Like, like our restaurant's going to get canceled. Do you flip the sign to closed right away? Are they the pitch? This is a pretty good pitch. Jeff Brahms, like in the lobby of the pitch meeting, like, okay, well, here's the story. I got a shorthand for this. Remember Ryan Kerrigan? Remember Rondale Moore? Remember how there's always an NFL guy that goes against Ohio state weakness. Boom, boom, boom. I'm checking all the boxes. And then it's just a matter of the exec going to be like, nah, we're not really doing upset stories this year and kicks them out because it's all there. Now, there's one thing, Stephen, that I want to bring up. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago and I got a little bit of pushback and that's great. I understand people disagreeing with my take on this and it's about home field advantage. All four of these Purdue wins since 2004 were in West Lafayette. How much does that factor into this in your mind? I have said, I don't think Ohio State has a huge home field advantage, but is that a major difference that we must account for when we talk about the four times that Purdue has beaten Ohio State? Yeah, because Purdue doesn't have, I don't think Purdue has a major home field advantage either. It's just, but when you're the underdog and uh, like 2018 was a night game. I can't remember if the other ones were night games or not, but this is the biggest game of the year for you. There's probably some off field element that's going on with this one. Like it was, I think it was on ABC in 2018. Um, yeah. It's just, 
when you get upset on the road, it's because something happens with the home team where the crowd starts to feed into it and feed into it and feed into it and feed into it. And then the situation where a team who doesn't have the greatest home field advantage now has the greatest home field advantage in the world. Ohio State doesn't have to worry about that on Saturday because if Purdue does something, the crowd is just going to get quiet. And if it's third down, the crowd is just going to get loud again because they're trying to root for their team. Yeah, the, the average Purdue game there is not a home field advantage, but for sometimes because of the Ohio State game, which is like their only chance to play a home game in front of a truly full stadium in some years because all the Ohio State fans come over, then it almost weirdly becomes a home field advantage, I think, for them. And sometimes I've seen that happen in some of the Notre Dame matchups that Purdue has played a little bit over the years, too. And then 2018 was also a completely different like you felt something weird building all day in 2018. There was the Tyler Trent stuff that was going on. That was an afternoon game I, was that a 3 30 kickoff do you remember doug i don't remember it being a true night kickoff I but it was I could be dark wrong by the time that. it ended but yeah okay yeah it was definitely dark by the time it ended i can't remember okay. if it started in the dark but it was it, 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 just that vibe was something was building there that day and it was it was kind of just unique to that day for a lot of circumstances but in general it, it i i think it does help ohio it does help purdue when a team like ohio state comes and plays in west lafayette because there's a lot of games where you might only have 30, 35,000 there, and it's kind of, okay, whatever. But then you actually fill up your stadium, and it, I think it just it gets guys up. My take on the Purdue thing is actually that it's almost the lack of home field advantage that brings out the worst in Ohio State. That could be, yeah. going to West Lafayette Ooh. sometimes is a dead place to go. And, like, in 2009, it was a noon game, I think, and the whole thing was, like, there was nobody there, and then Purdue was, in, was ahead, and people started showing up, like, in the second half. Because it's like, oh, my God, Purdue's going to win. And that I almost think is the worst thing for Ohio State, that if it, it invites Ohio State to not get up for the game. So I agree. We all know the Tyler Trent story. And I agree that there was maybe some something, a different vibe to that game. But I would maybe – actually, I'm not – there's no maybe about it. Northwestern also stinks. I think Purdue is one yeah. of the two worst football environments in the yep. Big Ten. And I think it actually saps Ohio State's – energy and they come out and they it almost invites you to take Purdue lightly because it's like okay I mean the stadium's not even that tall I mean it's not that there's not even there's not an upper deck right I mean it's not it's not an imposing like because and then it can be reversed listen Wisconsin and Iowa those home field Penn State those are times when that is a home field advantage for the visitors so Ohio State would rather be at home because Iowa and Wisconsin and Penn State you can't even hear yourself it'll drive you nuts I think Purdue can be the exact opposite of that, which I do think Ohio State should be up for this. If you were Ryan Day, would you show the team a video on Friday night that says since 2004, Ohio State's record against Purdue, five and four, Ohio State's record against everybody else in the Big Ten, 125 and 15. And would you show all the game changing plays from the four losses to make sure these guys know what's up? Would you do that? Steven, so you're, I, you're uncertain, maybe. I, no, I, I've got a good story about that. So my senior year of high school, um, this, <laughs> we played like really bad one night, and it, uh, it was it was terrible. And so in, in Columbus, you play a Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. That's usually when you play basketball games. And so for the Saturday game, when we came in and we're getting dressed for the game, our coach rolls in. This is back when they still rolled in TVs 10 years ago. He rolled in a TV. And he just pressed play and it was the film from the night before. And it was just all of our bad plays over and over and over as we were getting dressed. So 
I don't think Ryan Day would do something like you're talking about, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if, you know, he that something like that happened because it is a tactic coaches use them. Look how badly you sucked in the past. Don't ever do that again. I'm going to get into this when I make my pick. I think he would do that. I don't know that he has to do that this year, though. I'll go into that more when I make my pick. But he he did say this week that they instead of doing their um, when they did their offensive meeting, instead of going through all the champions clips, they showed clips that went wrong, including some bad play calls that he made. So that is kind of a theme that's going on at Ohio State this week is sort of accountability and uh, owning up to mistakes and correcting them. All right. Well, let's get to that. We'll make our picks for Ohio State Purdue next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven, time for the picks. 3.30 kickoff in Ohio Stadium. It is a 20-and-a-half-point line, and I will tell you, Nathan Baird, that the Texters are taking Purdue plus the points. 20-and-a-half-point spread, 74% taking Purdue plus 20.5, 26% given the points with Ohio State. Very split on the over-under of 62 and a half. 55% taking the over, 45% taking the under of 62 and a half. Nathan Baird, what's your pick? So for everybody who's watching this video, go back and listen to the first part of the podcast where Doug did a great job breaking down the history of this uh, program, uh, this series, I should say, and pointing out that two of these losses came in 04 and 2011 when Ohio State was down. In the other two of the other win, the other two wins since 2004, Purdue caught Ohio State napping a little bit, I think. Purdue was not very good those years. 2009, Purdue had lost five straight games going into the Purdue, the Ohio State game. They lost at Oregon, Northern Illinois, Notre Dame, Northwestern, and Minnesota. And then two weeks after beating Ohio State, they lost 37-0 to Wisconsin, went 5-7 and seven that year. In 2018, Purdue started 0-3, including a home loss to Eastern Michigan, beat a fake good Boston College, at, one at Nebraska, one at Illinois. So they were on a three-game losing streak, but they weren't beating anybody that I think they're three and three going into the game. And then the week after beating Ohio State, they lose 23-13 at Michigan State. Those just weren't that good of teams. That, that team went to a bowl game against Auburn, and it was the worst thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Not just like the worst football thing. It was an atrocity, what they did on a football field against Auburn that year. So my point being, this Purdue team is not catching Ohio State napping. This Purdue team's coming in off of a huge win. They just got put into the college football rankings. Ohio State's coming in off of two, um, the playoff rankings, I should say. Ohio State's coming in off of two, what it thinks is kind of scuffling subpar games. So I'm taking Ohio State. I, I, I want to put put that out there because I don't think Ohio State, I don't, I'm not expecting Purdue to upset and, and win this game, but I am taking Purdue and the points. I'm taking Ohio State to win 38 to 20. I just want there to be a, a differentiation between me thinking that the spread right now is too big and me thinking Purdue has a chance to win this game and upset. I think Ohio State's going to win. 18 points is still pretty comfortable. And you're taking the under with the 58 point the total on the 62 and a half. Yep. Steven. And by the way, 2009, no doubt about, no doubt about that Ohio State was overlooking Purdue for sure in 2009. Steven, what you got? 40 to 20 for all of those reasons that Nathan just laid out. So great. I'm so happy you went first. But yeah, some of it is just, 
I have to see it again with this offense before I start going with the ridiculous 45 plus scores um, and just taking, oh, yeah, they're going to just be over in every game and taking Ohio State with the points every game. I have to see it a bit. And because of that, I'm in a, I'm in a, more in a world where Purdue maybe is playing Ohio State close for a little bit before Ohio State kind of takes off here. So 40 to 20, I'm taking Purdue with the points in the under. So you were very close, Nathan. I have the same one score as Nathan. I have 38-30. I think this could be a game. I These are doubts to some degree about Ohio State's back seven. This is some belief in Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell and Jeff Brom to find some weaknesses. This is David Bell is tough to guard. This is George Karloff this is disruptive and maybe get some goofy stuff. But I think Ohio State still moves the ball, right? I mean, Ohio State only scored... 26 against Nebraska and we're picking 38, 38 and 40 against Purdue. So that's a better performance by the Ohio state offense. I, I just, I've been so wrong on some of these lines. I just, the 20 and a half point spread really has me confused. It, it really does have me confused because Purdue was sort of stopped by that Wisconsin defense, but I don't think this Ohio state team has that same kind of defense. So I think Purdue is going to move the ball. And, you know, I, I think this might get a little hairy, for a little bit, not because Ohio State overlooks Purdue, but just because Purdue does some things that Ohio State has some issues with. So I have 38-30. That is an easy cover by the Boilermakers, but that is an over. So I think possibly, I mean, you get both teams in the 30s, right? It's a 62-and-a-half-point spread. That's dropped three or four points from where it opens. So people are leaning towards you guys with the under. But I have also, so it's three of us are taking, and the Texters, we're all taking the 20-and-a-half. With Purdue, you two guys are under. I am over. So I I don't know. Like, do you guys think I'm nuts to say eight-point game? Does that sound crazy to you, Nathan? I don't know about crazy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. No. <laughs> uh, I, I think- uh, it's 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 more than it's more credit than I'm willing to give Purdue. I think part of this too is I I'm also still the one, I think, of the three of us that had the least respect for Michigan state. So like Purdue scoring 40 against Michigan state doesn't like blow me away necessarily. And uh, one thing I also want to throw in here is if Purdue, if Ohio state keeps doing what it's been doing defensively and it does get to O'Connell early and fluster him, Aiden O'Connell's not going to be the quarterback at some point in this game. Uh, Jeff Brown's got a pretty quick trigger. He's got a couple other quarterbacks on his roster that he plays. And now does that create a spark for Purdue if things go that way? Or does do things become kind of even more discombobulated? I think it could go either way. It's just one of the things. That's not a guarantee that that's how it's going to happen. But if that does start to happen, I'm, I wonder how that throws off kind of the trajectory of this game. I, would, I don't have a problem with that eight-point game. I just think it's a little high scoring for it to be an eight point game. I, I think this defense has earned a little bit of respect the way it's played the last couple of weeks. Now, obviously we know the caveat of they haven't played a David Bell yet and Purdue might throw it around, but still I think this defense has done enough over the last four or five weeks here that you can have some faith that they might keep a team under 25 points. Wow. So I think there was a way to say it where you're giving respect to the defense while also pointing out the fact that this defense, this offense has to prove it to you again. And I made that big comparison at the beginning with you know all the passing yards that Purdue has put up. I took out the Wisconsin game. Their point totals in those four games, they scored 13 against Minnesota, mm-hmm. 24 against Iowa, 28 against Nebraska, and 40 against Michigan State. So, like, for instance, against Minnesota, they put up a bunch of passing yards, 
and, you know, threw it pretty well, but only scored 13 points, right? So we talked last week about sort of like empty passing yards for Ohio State. The C.J. Stroud threw for 405 and they only scored 26 points. Like that, that's certainly there too, that moments of, hey, you know, they hit a couple 20-yard throws in the middle of the field, but they didn't get in scoring territory. Then they got to a third down and Tyreek Smith got a sack and forced a punt. So it didn't matter that much that maybe they gave up an 18-yard throw and a 26-yard throw on that drive because they weren't scoring plays. And then when it mattered, you know, Denzel Burke knocked a pass away or mm-hmm. Steel Chambers got home on a blitz or something, right? I mean, I, I definitely can see that view of it too, that 30 might be a little high. Um, I don't know. I, this is going to be a nice stretch to end the season for Ohio State. I think we're going to see some, some fun football, some good football on both sides. And I do think that now the other side of it too is I think like Ryan Day and Jeff Brom, could show their players the same video. <laughs> like Jeff, for different reasons. <laughs> here's here's all Purdue's good plays from all, Purdue's four wins since 2004. Jeff Brom can use them to get the Purdue guys fired up, and Ryan Day can use them to get the Ohio State guys on alert. But I, I do think it matters to some degree that it's in Columbus, it's not in West Lafayette. So I think that is a thing. And Nathan, as you pointed out, this is neither a whacked out Ohio State here nor a Purdue team to overlook. It's almost like Purdue is too good to win this game, that they would have been better off losing to Michigan state and sneaking in here a little bit more because people are talking about, I mean, if they have this spoiler makers reputation that is built first and foremost on those two pen two Ohio state wins that is built on Oh nine and 18. And then it was like, Oh, what happened to Iowa and Michigan state this year, beating the number two and number three team in the country. That's just like what they did to Ohio state. So now it almost makes it less likely to happen to Ohio State because it's like, are they going to beat? Is Purdue seriously going to beat three top five teams this year? Is that that's what we would be talking about? Yes, although history is also going to look back at whether Iowa was really a top five team. Remains to be seen whether Michigan State is considered that caliber. But yes, like what are the odds that they go and and two of those will be on the road? They had to go at Iowa and win, and this would be having to go on the road again. So go on the road. To be to upset to win three top five matchups and two of them be on the road, I think would be. I wonder the last time someone in the Big Ten did that. It's well, almost last, as if yeah. if they didn't drop the ball ball early in the season, they'd be in the top four of the playoff rankings right now. I mean, they had that, lost to Minnesota. I mean, that it, Oregon no, State win's a pretty good win. Like Oregon State yeah. turned out to be pretty decent. Purdue beat them in the opener. Like yeah. legitimate. Okay, the Notre Dame loss. Okay, I'll respect that one. On the you road don't lose. Notre- yeah, if you win that and like you don't drop the ball against Minnesota and and Wisconsin, they might legitimately have a case for being the number one seed. But 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 I mean like because and the rankings love Wisconsin is yeah. is propping up Michigan. Like the numbers love Wisconsin. If they could say their only two losses were to Notre Dame and Wisconsin, they're what they're they're nineteenth right now. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Where are they? Mm-hmm. 19th had, in the playoff rankings, yeah. They lost 2013 in Minnesota. If they had beaten Minnesota and they were a two-loss team right now, they might be in the top 10. Or they'd be like 12. Yeah, yeah. they wouldn't be right? top 10, but they would be they'd, they'd be, be like right group behind Michigan, Michigan yeah. State. Because they'd get a lot of credit for the – I mean, those Iowa and Michigan State wins. I mean, again, I, I oh, yes, we all agree. Are they really top five teams? But you go looking for who has a better pair of wins. I mean, right. you know, not a lot of teams. Right. And then if you said, well, our losses to Wisconsin and Notre Dame, and they're pretty good, I mean, you could make a case. So thanks, PJ Fleck. All right, that's our game preview. We'll be back with a post-game pod on Saturday. And make sure you're reading Cleveland.com. 
slash Buckeye Talk for all the news and get the text at 614-350-3315. Last reminder on this, not the last, but I mean, it's going to be there. The Mayor of Maple Avenue from PennLive.com, really interesting narrative podcast about one of the victims of the Jerry Sandusky a decade ago. Again, we sort of all know the Jerry Sandusky story, the penalties for him. But what about the people, his victims, right, that he inflicted this upon? Like what, what happened to them and what did we do as a society to help those people? So it is, it is clearly a football story, but it's a bigger story than that. Wherever you're listening to Buckeye Talk, you can find the mayor of Maple Avenue from our friends at penlive.com. So, again, that's a deep um, kind of a deep thinking kind of podcast, but sometimes that's what you're in the mood for. And I, I would direct you towards that if you enjoy those kinds of things to listen to. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.